Welcome to the Community Church Podcast, your place to belong. Thanks for taking the time to tune into this week's message. I hope that it blesses and encourages you. Luke chapter 7 is where we're going to go as we continue on in our series, This Is Us. Last week, I shared with you about my heart, my passion, that we would be a people that have just this hunger for the presence of God, that we would be known, that this is us, this is our story, that we would be known to be people that are driven just like King David was, and we looked at several passages of scripture in the Psalms where David just shared so openly, Psalm 63 was the main one where he's like, I just want to be in your presence, God, because I know when I'm in your presence, I've experienced your power and your glory, and I walked out of there knowing that your love is better than life, and I feel so content as if I've just feasted on the best of the best in the way of foods. I fed my soul, I fed my spirit, and so, you know, that's my heart. My heart is that every time you walk in here on a Sunday, or, you know, you come to youth, or a kids ministry, or even in your community group, my prayer and my passion is that you would experience the presence of God in that way. And the question was, is our approach, because David had an approach. His approach was, I'm going after God no matter what's around me. And if I had the opportunity to have a glass of water in the middle of the desert, I'd still choose God. And that's really the heart and the passion, that when you walk in here, do you have an expectation, and does your approach allow you, and does it open the door for you to experience the same thing that David experienced? Because I don't think it was just for David. I think it was for anybody that wanted to go after God. If you, if you sought the presence of God, I think you're going to experience his power. I think you're going to experience his glory, his weightiness, the, you know, the splendor of who he is. And I also think that you're going to walk out of here knowing the love of God in a more deeper way, and you're going to feel content. The question I throw out to everybody again this morning, same thing for myself, did I come ready and expecting, did I go after God, did I chase after God today? If I want the glory of God, my approach makes a big difference, and there was that determination. Well, today I want to pick up on another aspect of, of uh, attitude or approach that I think has an impact on you know, our experience in the presence of God. And that the Lord's heart and his passion is that we wouldn't be people that get stuck into ritual worship. And we looked at Amos last week, Amos chapter 5, where Amos warned them. He said, listen, God's, here's the word of the Lord. If you want to seek him, seek him and you'll find him. You, he's right there and you'll live. But don't go to Gilgal. Don't go to Bethel. These are places of ritual worship that became just ritualistic. That's not the heart of God when it comes to you coming in here. That God had an agenda this morning, just like he had an agenda last week. There's something that he wants to speak into your life, he wants to do in your life today. And it might be a small thing, and it could be a big thing. It could be something through you. It might be a moment where God speaks to you or teaches you something, or maybe reinforces something that you need to hear this morning. But either way, God has something for you. Can I get an amen on that? Come on. There's like four of us inside this room, right? You know? And so I want to pick up on this story, this encounter that Jesus had with a woman uh, in, in, in the home of Simon the Pharisee, Luke chapter 7. And Luke chapter 7, a little further down, and we're only going to look at verses 44 to 47, but if you look a little bit before that, Simon the Pharisee, this religious leader, invites Jesus to his home for a party. So Jesus arrives and he goes and he reclines. And there was a woman who was in the area, she was known as a notorious immoral woman, most likely a prostitute. 
you know, she just, she was known as a sinner. And everybody knew her reputation in town. But when she heard that Jesus was in the home of Simon the Pharisee and he was at this party, she decided to go. And the scripture tells us in Luke chapter 7 that she came in and immediately she saw Jesus and she stood behind him, which was a sign of respect. A sign of respect. She understood and recognized the authority of Jesus. And then immediately that invoked this passion. And she brought with her this alabaster jar of perfume that was worth a lot of money. And she comes in and then she, she begins to kneel down at his feet and she begins to weep. You know, she begins to pour out the perfume. And, and she's just so grateful. Like 100% maybe 150% if you want to put it on. She is so deeply moved by the presence of Jesus. And Simon says to himself, boy, does Jesus know who she is? Like if he's a prophet, he should know who she is. He should know that he shouldn't be around her. Does he know who's touching him right now? Like this would defile him as a rabbi. Really clearly Jesus is not who he says. This is what's going on in Simon's mind. And Jesus all of a sudden turns to him and says, Simon, I have something to say to you. Now remember, Simon is talking to himself. He's not like having a conversation with somebody else. He's thinking this and Jesus knows that he's thinking this, which is kind of freaky, you know, when you start thinking about Jesus knowing all your thoughts, right? Or maybe I'm the only one that gets freaked out about that. Maybe I have weird thoughts, and I'm like, okay, you know, God hears me. You know, maybe I'm the only one, right? And he tells this parable, he says to Simon, he says, hey, Simon, let me ask you a question. There are two men that have major debts to this debtor, and one owes $500 and the other one owns, owes 50 And neither one of them can repay the person that they owe. It's the same person. And that person looks at both of them and decides to cancel both debts. And he says to Simon, Simon, which one would love the, the debtor, the one that they owe more? And he said, well, obviously, Jesus, it's the person that owed the most, the 500 And Jesus said, you judged correctly. And then we pick up in verse 44. And in this moment, he turned toward the woman. Again, here's, this has got to freak Simon out a little bit because Simon was thinking about this, wasn't verbalizing it, and Jesus is setting him up and is about to share a real powerful truth. He said, you know what, Simon? Do you see this woman? You notice that Jesus doesn't reference the fact that she's a notorious sinner or anything like that. He just calls her, she's just a woman. Like immediately, he's already taken off some of the you know, the, you know, the disdain or whatever would come with the reputation. He just, he begins by saying, hey, this, do you see this woman that's standing beside me? As if he didn't know. But he did. He said, when I came into your house, you did not give me any water for my feet. Which, again, you know, this is, these might seem like little things that Jesus is saying. But, but when you get into it, you realize that, that really what Simon did in this moment, in inviting Jesus, he did some things that were intentional that he meant to snub Jesus. He, was, he meant to treat Jesus a certain way. Because customary, what would be normal is when someone, when you invited someone to your home, 
you know, to a dinner or a party like this, you would wash their feet. This is the minimal gesture of hospitality in the day. It's like you opening the door for your, for your guests when they arrive. Like, it's just minimal hospitality, and it's absolutely mandatory before a meal. One scholar says that this is the equivalent of somebody inviting someone to their home and then expecting their guests to wash their own dishes. Like, this is the kind of respect that Simon had for Jesus. He had, in fact, little, in fact, none, to be honest with you, because he goes on to say this. Listen, you know, I came in here. You didn't give me any water for my feet, but she has, she has wet my feet with her tears, and she's wiped them with her hair. Now, I'm not going to lie. This is a bit of an awkward moment. I, I joked with the Thursday night crowd. I'm like, I can't imagine being in a party, and then all of a sudden, Cora coming over and, like, you know, weeping on my feet and whatever. Not doing that? No, I didn't think so. But anyways, you know, <laughs> but just awkward moment. But Jesus is, is going to use this awkward moment to teach something. He goes, listen, he goes, listen, here's the deal. Not only did she did do that, but she did. She gave you did not give me a kiss. But this woman from the time I've entered has not stopped kissing my feet. Like when someone entered your home, you would kiss them as a sign that you recognize that they are on equal social rank as you. But Simon didn't do it. He didn't see Jesus as an equal. His snub was to say, hey, Jesus, you're nobody. You're below me. I don't need to give you a greeting that way. It's not required. Then he goes on to say, but listen, you did not even put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Again, the oil is not mandatory, but again, it's another hospitable gesture. It was a gift to, that was meant to, to bring refreshing to, to all of their guests because they're coming in from the hot sun. He goes, that's not, she just poured oil. She poured out the most expensive gift that she had on Jesus, she gave everything that she had. The most value that she had, she put it on Jesus. And listen to what Jesus said. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, which would have triggered everybody in the room. How many times did, they, did the Pharisees say, who is this man who thinks he can forgive people of sins? And Jesus is just giving a little bit of an insight leading up to the cross of who he really is. But her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little, loves little. Meaning, if you understood the kind of debt that she had, and understood what I just did, because of her response to me, choosing me in the midst of this crowd, She's overwhelmed in this moment because she understands what just happened. She knew who the source was, and she knew what she needed, and Jesus met her that day. She started where Simon should have began. 
She started with the sign of respect. She recognized who Jesus was. She, she made sure that Jesus knew that amongst this crowd, if Simon's not going to do it, I'm going to do it. I'm going to make sure that you are honored above every person inside this room because, Jesus, you're not. It's true. You're not on anyone's equal, you know, equal place and equal footing in the way of social rank. The truth is you're above and beyond everybody inside this room, and I recognize that, and I see that, and I've come to worship you. And she stood in front of him, and she was so moved by his presence and she just began to kneel down and she wept with her own tears and she poured out what was so expensive what an incredible sacrifice you have no idea what that sacrifice would have meant just think i mean i think some commentators if i remember correctly have talked about how this would be like the the equality of like you know a few months wages if not a year that she's pouring out on the feet of jesus Was she moved because of conviction? Possibly. Was she moved by who he was? Absolutely. Just think about this. There's this moment for her and Jesus where I'm sure the stark reality of the fact that who she is, and everybody knows who she is. She knows she has a reputation. She knows that she's a sinner. And now she's standing in front of Jesus, and Jesus has now not defended her sin, but he opened the door for her to come. He received her. He treated her the opposite of anybody. I'm sure, I've shared this uh, part of this passage before, you know, in the past. Listen to me. I'm sure that every eye was on her. I'm sure there were a bunch of, I can't believe she just crashed the party. Like all of those kinds of moments were happening. I'm, I'm sure that Simon wasn't the only person in the room that was thinking, does Jesus know who's touching him right now? Does he know that he just defiled himself? If he was a prophet, if he was really who he says he was, he would recognize that this is, this is not appropriate, Jesus. This is not just awkward. This is totally inappropriate. This shouldn't be happening and certainly shouldn't be happening to you. And yet Jesus treated her the complete opposite of what she deserved in the eyes of man. It's not what she deserved eternally, but what she deserved in the eyes of man. This, the, the way that they were treating her, the way they looked down on her, this was the status quo of how you treated a sinner like her. And yet Jesus didn't do that. He didn't treat her that way. And it moved her. And I want to challenge you today that the way that it moves her, I think, comes from the fact that she was super grateful. And my call and my challenge to you, to myself, when you're worshiping and you're reading those lyrics, have you ever thought about the contrast of who you once were versus what you're singing about in the way of a position in Christ now because of the work and what he has done for your life. See, it doesn't surprise me that David would lift up his hands and, and begin to voice because he's in the presence of God, but I'm sure in the moments where David found himself doing some imperfect things, things that didn't honor God, things that didn't please God, I'm sure there were moments where David reflected on that and says, man, woe, you know, woe is me, we know. He says this, woe is me, man, that, that I can even stand in your presence, God. Who am I? We, we, I think we sang it this morning, who am I? That my king would welcome me. She was grateful. 
I want to give you some context of what that means biblically because in our own you know, English language is this idea of showing appreciation or thankfulness. It's this feeling that we have. But the Bible uses thankfulness and gratefulness as synonyms. They, they kind of work together. And the reason why is because when you look at the Old Testament, the Old Testament gives you this impression when it uses the word uh, that, that is defined like gratefulness. It's this idea of confessing with your mouth how much you are thankful for something. God, I'm just grateful for what you've done or who you are. That's, you know, you're, you're, you're confessing it. But what I love is the combination of that with the New Testament because the New Testament was this idea of being mindful of the favor that you have. Meaning an act that has been done for you that is beyond what is usual or what is due. In fact, I love what G.K. Chesterton says, and it's up on the screen. He said this, that, that great gratitude is happiness doubled by wonder. You're not just thanking him. You're blown away that this is what you got. Because the truth is, gratefulness is the position that you take when you realize that what you're receiving and what you're experiencing is completely undeserved. You ever have a moment where uh, you, you kind of see a situation go down and you think to yourself, man, I'm glad I'm not that guy. Anybody? Right? I'm glad I'm not that guy, right? I remember when I was a kid and uh, my dad every once in a while would take me down to Maple Leaf Gardens. And uh, it was a huge, I know, if you're not a Leaf fan, you think, wow, like, why would your dad torture you like that? I get it, right? And the torture didn't end there. My dad, was a, my dad still is a Red Wings fan, so I get to enjoy uh, some, some uh, chirping today at Thanksgiving dinner because the Leafs beat the Red Wings last night. And uh, thanks to the fourth line and the third line, the other two, I don't know where they were. But anyways, that's a whole other story. And, and so it doesn't matter who the Leafs were playing. My dad would take me down. I think he did it on purpose just, I don't know if he was trying to, like, make me tougher or whatever, but no matter who was playing, my dad would cheer for them other than the Leafs. That's how much, that's how much he, I mean, he hated the Leafs more than Grant Burst does, and I'm just, I'm just throwing it out there, you know, or Caleb, you know, they're grinning at me right now. But, but anyways, and so he would take me down. And, and, and I, of course, you know, you have these traditions when you're going to the hockey game. And, and I used to love in the second period to go get a big bag of zesty Doritos. I think that's what led to some obesity issues later on in life. But uh, I was kind of setting the train there a little bit. But I used to love that in the second, just the bag of zesty Doritos. Oh, so good. And have a, 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 a pop with it. And back in those days at Maple Leaf Gardens, they didn't put lids on the cup they would put saran wrap anybody know remember anybody remember this as we go into maple leaf gardens right john like yeah almost every time right and so they would i don't know what the deal was i don't know if they thought you know like people are going to fling plastic lids across the ice and i don't know kill a hockey player or something i don't know but anyways it had and all they would do is they would put saran wrap over top right and so i'm sitting there and back in those days i don't and i still don't get it when i watch hockey games all these guys in suits and ties but but, but, but I remember ladies coming to hockey games and dressing up like as if they're going to like some classy ball or something like that, like full on. So there's this lady sitting in front of me and I'm probably like 11 or 12 years old and, and this lady's sitting in front of me and she's got like this fur coat on. Like she is dressed to like, like she's ready to go, ready to party, right? And I'm like, so 
the Leafs are scurrying around and they score a goal, which back in those days, you celebrate one goal because you might not see one for a long, long time, you know? It's as elusive as the Stanley Cup itself. Like, it was that bad those days. I'm talking the Harold Ballard kind of days, right? Like, it was bad, right? And so I'm standing there, and they score, and, I'm, and I've got my pop in my hand, and I'm almost done it, but it's not quite done. There's still some pop and ice in it. There's no lid, nothing, just saran wrap. And you know saran wrap doesn't stick that good to a, like a, a, you know, a cup like that. And I just, not even thinking, right? I just threw my hands up, and so did the pop and the ice, and it went all over her fur coats. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm a dead man. This is it. My life is over. This lady is going to lose it on me. She's going to freak out. You know, and I was waiting for it. I was expecting for her to turn around and scowl at me. How dare you, young man? You should be more, you know, uh, uh, mindful of that and, you know, be careful and all that kind of stuff. And my dad's just kind of shaking his hand and he's like, oh, I think he was shaking his head because the leaf scored. And then on top of that, my kid, what'd he do, you know? But that's not what I got. She just turned around and she smiled and kind of laughed a little bit and just brushed off her fur coat. I did not see that coming. Isn't that the same thing when it comes to salvation and grace? The penalty that you and I, according to scripture, is that our sin warrants spiritual death. But while we were still sinners, I love that. While we were still, we haven't made the choice yet. Before we even have the opportunity to ask God to forgive our sins. Before we have the opportunity to say, God, would you please not only forgive me, but save me. Before any of this done, before anybody asked, before anybody requested, before anybody could even, you know, if you want to put it this, beg. But you don't have to beg when it comes to salvation. But some people see it that way. But you don't have to beg for salvation. It's a free gift of God. And listen, while we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. I'm going to do it anyway. John 10, Jesus talks about how, listen, nobody, nobody asked me to do this. I did this of my own choice. I want to do this. I want to lay down my life. The Father, we know John 3, 16, right? You know, it's a famous passage of scripture about how he gave up his only son that who, you know, whoever would, you know, call on him, would receive him, shall have eternal life. He just released him. And the thing is, we didn't deserve it. And I think back to that moment, I didn't deserve that reaction from her. She chose to give it to me. And what a relief I felt when I realized she's not yelling at me. I didn't go grab another pop by the end, that's for sure, and put the bag of chips underneath. <laughs> I'll eat this on the subway, you know. I was in awe that she gave me something that I didn't deserve. And just like the woman, I have a past too. You have a past. I have a past that I'm not proud of. I have a past that I will occasionally use illustrations from just to share and show the, 
you know, the transparency and to show the, the transformation that comes through Christ. But I didn't get what I deserved with God. I got the complete opposite. He treated me opposite of what everybody else would think. And I wonder, just wonder, if the woman was thinking the exact same thing and invoked worship, do I worship God with that thought? See, I, when I stand here, and I hope and pray that you do the exact same thing. When I stand there and I'm singing songs, I'm listening. I, I said this on Wednesday night. I was in Cambridge speaking at a, uh, at a church that was doing a thing for their worship department. We were talking about the presence of God. And, and I remember writing down this, this thought for them because most of them were musicians, vocalists, and whatever. And I said, listen, you can know all the chords all you want, but do you know the words? Because it's so easy to get into ritualistic worship. Like, it's so easy. We're just going to do the same thing. In fact, I brought a, a little, you know, the little Simon uh, game with all the lights, and you hit it, and then you got to, it's all repetitive. And I was like, this is like a worship team, man. Like, Simon is like the worship leader. We're going to do it this way. Follow my lead, you know. And, and it's so easy. And if you don't stay focused, you could lose out. And one of the biggest struggles in worship, and, and when I hear people say, well, I didn't get anything out of worship, and I'm going to be honest with you. I don't get how you don't get anything out of worship. Because worship should never be determined by what song we're singing, who's leading. It should never be determined by, you know, whether I like the style or I don't like the style. Because the truth is, worship is not for you and it's not even about you other than the fact that you and I are giving it to God. Worship is an expression. The byproduct is you will feel the manifest presence of God. You'll feel the glory of God. But you don't worship just so you can get that. I mean, don't get me wrong. David had this determination, and he experienced that. But notice if you go back to Psalm 63, when he came out of that, when he experienced that, it invoked absolute expression. My lips will ever praise you. I will lift my hands in the sanctuary. All of these are byproducts. These are extensions, expressions of giving God the worship that is due him because he's worthy. And in that moment, that's exactly what that woman, this notorious sinner, was doing. She's like, I'm here, and I'm going to do what nobody else in the room will do. I'm going to give you honor, and I'm going to make sure people know it. But she didn't do it so that people can look at her because she already knew people were looking at her. She gave of herself to worship God. And I guarantee it came from a heart of gratefulness when she stood in front of Jesus and realized, man, I've got an incredible past. Simon may not have figured this out, but I've already figured it out. He already knew my name before I walked inside this room. He already knew every activity of my life. He knew everything that I've done, everything that I've thought, everything that I've said. And yet, he didn't say, go away from me. He just let her come in. Man, you want something that will stir your heart in worship? Start thinking about what God has given you that you and I don't deserve. 
but he chose to give it. Most of us know the old hymn that talks about the debt that I, that I could not, that I owed, that I could not pay. I needed someone to wash my sins away. Right? I just, man, those words, debt. Here's the other thing, and I'll wrap up with this. In fact, actually, I'll ask you to come back, Rebecca. I think her gratefulness not only came from a heart of realizing, man, I'm experiencing something that I don't deserve right now, but I also think she was experiencing this moment where she realizes what he just said, your sins are forgiven, and she recognized, I can't, I can't accomplish that. There's nothing I can do to get that. You did something for me that I could never do for myself. Hmm. But you know, I was joking around with the Thursday night crowd. This is going to land me in hot water probably today for Thanksgiving. But here's another illustration with my wife. I walk a dangerous line every day. You know, talking about doing stuff that you don't, that you can't do for yourself. There are a lot of amazing things about my wife. In fact, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of amazing things about my wife. But one of the things that my wife struggles with is really not her fault. It's really more genetics, but she's vertically challenged, i.e. she's short. Nothing wrong with short people. Short people are good. They're great people. They're awesome people. I married one. She's amazing. Did I say enough yet? No, no not yet. Just keep going. Yeah. It's not show me the money. Show me the compliments. Well, show me the money too. But anyways. And so every once in a while, you know, Cora's putting stuff away. And, and our cupboards go all the way to the top of the ceiling. Right? And then all of a sudden, I hear those those words hey babe my studly superman I might be stretching this a little bit but I'm just saying my big strong man would you come and would you just put this up on that top shelf for me and you know I come in and I like a Hulk Hogan I rip off my shirt you know and grab it and I and I kind of grin at her as she's looking at it and I just take it and I go Whew. something that she can't do and that's okay because Jesus did the same thing for us you know you can do nothing you can't earn forgiveness it's just given to you other than just receiving what God's given to you, this gift, just here it is. And when we call on his name, that's what the scripture says, when we call on his name, you will be saved. That's transitioning from a place where on an eternity level, you're not making it into heaven to now spending eternity with God. Call on the name of the Lord because of what he did on the cross and what he did by rising again and defeating sin and death, taking back the keys of life and standing there victorious and standing there victorious for you. 
taking your sin, my sin to the cross, burying it there, and rising again and giving us new life. Oh, come on. And you can't do anything to earn that, Chad. Like, you just, it's, it's there. And you just, okay, thank you, God. And he comes running in, man. I don't visualize Jesus ripping a shirt like Hulk Hogan, but, like, he just comes running in because this is what he wanted to do. Like, I wonder if Jesus in that moment had, like, a spot where, you know, he just couldn't wait to finish that story and that conversation with Simon because he couldn't wait to get to those words. Hey, listen. This woman... Her many sins. Oh, come on. They're forgiven. The only thing that matters ultimately in life is the forgiveness of sins. The debt is paid, and He paid it all on your behalf and mine and so yes as a pastor my heart is that we would get outside of our comfort zone in the way of worship don't get me wrong it's it's not the only way to you know show that we're worshiping God but I also think that if we began to realize the depth of what's been done for us that we don't deserve or that we can't do for ourselves I think when we begin to understand the, the stark reality of that and where we are in position with God, man, listen, I don't know about you, but man, I'll abandon every comfort zone, cultural tradition, whatever, because right now all that matters to me is I just want to, I want to lift my hands, I want to lift my voice, I want to clap, because man, I realize the truth of what I'm, I'm singing right now, and I can sense God's presence, and I'm delighting because I know that what I'm experiencing in the presence of God is completely undeserved, except that He paid a price, so yeah, I'm lifting up my hands, and if I can't, man, I'll get on my tippy toes just to make it a little bit higher, and I'm not doing it because I want you to see me. I'm doing it because it belongs to him. He's worthy of that. And when the rest of the world doesn't want to do it, the rest of the world doesn't see that he's, you know, greater than them. They don't even see him as an equal. I'm going to come rushing in the room. And with every bit of determination like that woman, with every bit of determination that David had, I want to get into the presence of God. And I'm going to lift my hands. I'm going to lift my voice. Man, it's going to come from a heart of gratefulness because I know I didn't deserve anything that I'm reading. I didn't earn anything that I'm singing. I did not anything, nothing, nothing to do. But while I'm still a sinner, Christ died for me. And I'm telling you, when you begin to just, I'll be honest with you, I've led worship a long time, man. And, and I feel like sometimes our cultural traditions really strangle holes. They keep us from really engaging God. like shackles 
he's come to break those shackles. That's why David, when he was when he was spoken to by his wife, who was really upset with how he was dancing around the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant for years wasn't in, wasn't in their presence. And, and David and his, and his team went and they got it and they retrieved it and they were bringing it back into the city. And he's dancing and, and she's so upset. She's like, you're a king. David, what are you doing? And David goes, listen, if you think this is bad, I can get more undignified than this. And here's why. David goes, the only thing that determines my praise is not the attitude of men or the expectations of man. I'm doing this because this is my God and I'm in his presence and I can't wait. Do you worship that way? Do I worship that way? Do I do I come in here with not only an expectation that God is going to do something, that God has an agenda for my life, whether I've been serving Jesus for 40 or 50 years or I just, I just started, or maybe you're in this room today and you've never started that journey, but for some reason you're here today. I want you to know that what you think was just a haphazard, I'm just going to make a decision in the moment, is the Holy Spirit leading you and guiding you, and God has an agenda for you today too. I'm, I'm just saying, when we approach God, do we approach him with determination? Do we approach him with a deep sense of, wow. God, I'm so happy that that used to be me. And now I stand in a different position. And like G.K. Chesterton said, it's gratitude that is happiness, but it's doubled by wonder. I'm in awe that you could, that you did, and that it belongs to me. Let that, can I just challenge you with that as a pastor? Can I do this? I, listen, I've had people say the years, Pastor, don't tell me how to worship. I, listen, I'm only showing you what the biblical expression, biblical expression I'm telling you why the biblical expression is there. But yes, I'm going to challenge you. Of course I'm going to challenge you. Why wouldn't I challenge you? I challenge myself with the same thing every day. Why? Because I want to experience everything God has for me on this side of eternity. I want to know the fullness, which is this heart too, according to Ephesians, that we would know the full measure full measure of God inside your life on this side. Would you stand with me all over this place? Thanks for listening in to this week's message. Be sure to follow us on all social media to stay updated with everything Community Church. Also check us out at www.communitychurch.ca